Welcome to the Carpool Podcast with Kelly. I hate when you put out a family car and it's like, so the front row and the passenger seat are that much safer than the second row. And like, as a mother, reverse it. Give it to the second row before you give it to me. And Liz. I did, I am shocked. I was not expecting that I was going to guess five grand. Maybe. Yeah. I would never have thought that much. Your mom time off starts now. Welcome back to the Carpool Podcast with Kelly and Liz. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Um, we have a very exciting episode. Um, talk about, I mean, I know that like industry news has been kind of light uh, until today. It's like we kind of nabbed like an iconic interview. We really did. So we're so excited. We talked to Jessica Jermakian at the IIHS. She's the VP of Vehicle Research. Research. And it is fascinating i am fascinated by the ihs we i'm obsessed yeah i'm obsessed with the work that they're doing um we and i did not hold back i asked her the hard-hitting questions i said why isn't that ford expedition getting crash tested why don't you crash us on female bodies and like she tell us about the minivan drama yeah what's the gossip with the minivan and and the second row seating and she answered every question yeah and the way you will be shocked to find out how much a test dummy costs that's all i'm gonna say we're listening to the rest of the episode our jaws were on the floor (laughs) it is such i've never i mean in all like i obviously read about auto read about auto listen to things about auto all the time and i've never seen an interview like this before Mm -hmm. which why we had to do it ourselves because i'm like what is the gossip here yeah we just like needed to get the answers ask the questions from the right people. So that is what we did. So we're going to get to our interview with Jessica in just a little bit. But before we do that, we are going to um, give our millennial word of the day where we learn Gen Z slang so we can be less, less lame. lame. Do we have anything else? And we'll do Blake's besties. It's a drive through. Yeah. Do we have anything else we want to address? Or talk um, about? I don't think so. Okay. So let's get started with the millennial word of the day. Today's word is erm. Erm? E-R-M. Erm. Erm, erm, my goodness. Like, no, erm, my gosh. Not erm, my goodness. Erm. Is it an acronym or is it a shortening of something? It's a, no, it's just it's just its own word. Erm. Can you use it in a sentence? Erm. <laughs> <laughs> it just means like uh or like uh. Just like erm. So it's like um. Erm, or it's like ugh. You're just like grunting at the mic and acting <laughs> like this sorry. is a millennial word. I'm sorry. This is what it is. Erm. It's um. It's just like an express. Okay, you've had too much. That's how you know you've had too much internet in a day. That when is, just a grunt becomes a new slang. That is how you know that I have um, hit rock bottom. Hit rock bottom. It's an interjection used in hesitant speech to express uncertainty. Um, um. So, um is out, erm is in. Yeah, that's what you need to know. <laughs> it's so millennial to say, um. It's all about erm. It is so chuggy to say, um. It's erm now. Erm, what? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Guys, I'm, run, I'm running out. I'm not on TikTok, okay, well, so now I'm that not I've really lost, seeing the Now things. that I've lost some brain cells, let's get into our interview with Jessica so we can <laughs> get some new brain cells. Sound good? Yeah. All right, guys, we are so excited because we have the VP of Vehicle Research from the IIHS, Jessica Jermakian. Did I say that right? I'm yes. I'm, <laughs> Jessica, I'm incredibly dyslexic and I have a really hard time pronouncing things sometimes, but good for me. Getting yeah. It right. Yeah. Good job. Anyway, Jessica, welcome to the Carpool Podcast. Thanks for having me. So we have been, I'm such a big fan of the IIHS mm-hmm. and I 
I feel like I'm always like linking to your guys' website, sharing your resources. And then I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to shoot my shot. And like, let's see if we can get someone to talk to us from there. Because I just have so many questions. Mm-hmm. And I know there's so much misinformation out there. And I'm I'm curious if one thing that's driving you guys crazy is now all these new AI videos that are being spread around the internet of these crash tests. And you're like, and people are taking that. It's it's almost scary to see how people are like, oh, wow, guess I'm not going to drop by a Ford Bronco. I'm like, that video wasn't even real. And it was showing a car getting hit at a concrete wall with a semi. Like, what scenario is that ever happening at? Have you seen those videos? I have seen some of those videos. And and yeah, I we just like to point people to our website, our YouTube channel, and for the real videos that come out of our lab. Because you guys actually upload every video, the, the footage of the videos that you crash test. We do. Which we do. That is a huge service to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we try to be really transparent about what we're doing and provide the information in as many ways as, as we can. So I would love to know before we, I mean, I have so many different questions and I, I really think this is going to be a great conversation for anyone looking to buy a car or just curious, but I'd first like love to hear a little bit more about you and how the heck you end up as a VP of vehicle research, because that's quite the title. Yeah, well, I'm an engineer by training. Uh, In school, I took the engineering path that led me down to doing research. And I, right out of school, I went to work for a hospital, a children's hospital, actually, to study how children get hurt in crashes. And spent five years there, then spent some time working for an automaker. And then I ended up at IIHS doing research in occupant protection. In uh, I've done research for IIHS in crash worthiness, in child passenger safety, in crash avoidance, just a whole spectrum of topics. Wow. Making such an impact and difference, I'm sure. I mean, to, to be able to work within the field, but in all different kinds of industries, it must be kind of cool to see you know, the differences you made working at the hospital and then with the manufacturer and now with the IAHS, it's really quite the career path. Yeah, it really is. Full circle, kind of. Um, Okay, so can you just, for for my listeners who maybe aren't familiar with the IAHS, can you just give us a little bit of background? And if you could briefly just explain the difference between NHTSA and the IAHS. IAHS is not a government organization. Uh, We're a nonprofit independent organization. We're funded solely by auto insurers. So NHTSA is a is part of the federal government and a regulatory agency. And so they regulate the safety of vehicles. That is not our role. We don't have any regulatory authority. What we do is provide uh, consumer information through our our vehicle testing programs. And so, you know, we complement the work that, that NHTSA does. We try to push the automakers further than what NHTSA has done either with the regulations or with their own consumer information programs. We can move a little bit faster, actually quite a bit faster than NHTSA. Mm-hmm. And so that's good for, for us and for safety because we can be quick in getting the automakers to focus on new areas for improvement. Yeah, you guys kind of go, you build on the work that NHTSA's done does but in a way that you kind of hold the manufacturers a little accountable and kind of their feet to the fire a little bit and encourage them to make changes based on like you know the the audience that you guys have and how seriously people take what the Mm -hmm. ihs has to say like i i am such a big fan of your top safety pick and your top safety pick plus list and i love when i see manufacturers highlight 
if they're on one of those lists because then that that just validates the work that you're doing and encourages other manufacturers like get it together or you're not on the list i love love a list mm-hmm. exclusive you know yeah how long have you been with the ihs it's been about 13 years oh my gosh years. so is there any accomplishment or project that comes to mind that you're like, we did this. I was a part of this. We made these vehicles safer. We, we saved lives. Do you have any of those moments? Well, I'd say one of the things that I'm most proud of is our focus, our recent focus on rear seat safety. Yes. That's t- been an area that's been lacking in the United States. It's been lacking from all of the testing that the federal government is doing. And up until this point, what we've been doing in our frontal crash test programs, we've of course been evaluating rear seat safety in our side impact tests since 2003. But in a frontal crash test, we were the first to to bring that to the United States. And we are excited about the automakers making improvements in response. I, we're gonna like dive into that whole topic because I'm so excited about it. But just for clarification, so when you think about what NHTSA like when, when you look at a vehicle's like Maroni sticker on the window and you see like five star safety rating, it, is it a fair assumption to say that those are only indicating how the front passenger or I guess how the vehicle performed, but there is no second row or third row testing by NHTSA at this time? So there is no testing in the in a frontal crash by okay. NHTSA. Mm-hmm. They they eventually um, followed our, you know, our testing that we began in 2003, looking at side impact, they introduced a side impact test as well that also looks at the rear seat. But in a frontal crash test, ours is the first in the United States. That's awesome. So let's kind of, I'm going to jump around a little bit because while we're talking about these second row seats, I want to I want to break it down a little bit more because of course, you know, you get these, these new results that come out and then I have so many worried parents and mothers about how potentially unsafe their vehicles are now. Um, I've tried to, I've tried to explain that the the vehicles today are safer than vehicles 10 years ago. So like the, I I mean, between the work of the manufacturers and the IAHS were vehicles are continuing to get safer. What would you tell these parents though, who now feel like their vehicles are unsafe? I mean, I don't really know, even know what I'm looking for, but just some sort of direction or clarity? So modern vehicles are safer than they've ever been. And it's not that the rear seat has gotten less safe. It's that the front seat has gotten safer by comparison. Hmm. So the rear seat looks less safe. Hmm. Uh, But we know from the field data that kids are best protected in the rear seat. And our ratings for the rear seat don't change our recommendations that kids under 13 ride properly restrained in the in the rear seat. And our ratings don't apply at all to children in child safety seats. Right. That's that is good. That that, that feels yeah. like a good point, a good direction. And, you know, I just always try to tell my audience, like, there's always going to be new tests. There's always going to be new data. There's always going to be new cars. The important thing to remember is you make the best choice at that time with the information you had. Mm-hmm. And then you move on. And like, you just kind of have to just have peace with that. And, and that's exactly right. The, the reason we introduce new tests is because we see that everybody's doing well and that, you know, the industry is doing well in all of the tests that are currently that they're currently exposed to. And we look for where there is room for improvement and target our next test towards that. And so yeah. by design, our tests are supposed to push improvement. But that doesn't mean that vehicles are unsafe. In fact, Hmm. we know from the field data that injury rates are down for everyone. Yeah. Well, and it's because I mean, the ultimate goal is like, you know, zero, zero 
you know, vehicle deaths. And, yeah. and what about those manufacturers who, I mean, I've, I've heard rumblings of like Volvo claiming by, you know, this date they want to have zero fatalities. I mean, is that actually attainable? Is that like a PR headline they're just trying to get? Or what's your opinion on that? Well, it's it's really the only available option that we can strive towards. Yeah, you good know, point. you can't say good point. we'd like 500 deaths. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. You know, we, we'd like zero deaths. And that's the target we're going to we're going to aim for. I'm, I'm curious, since you guys started doing the second row um, testing, especially with the family cars, what was a car that really surprised you on how well it performed and then vice versa, a car that you were disappointed to see its scores? Well, anytime we introduce a new test, we always expect a range of results. In fact, the tests are designed that way, that, yeah. that some vehicles, we have to know that there are countermeasures and that vehicles can perform well, but we also want to push the automakers to make improvements. So by design, our tests will, when we first put them out, will show a range of performance. Um, we have seen some really good performance from the small SUVs, from some of the midsize SUVs. It w- the minivan results were disappointing. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, people buy minivans because they want to transport their yeah. families around. And so it's disappointing that the results were, were so lousy for the minivans. But we expect the automakers will focus their attention on the rear seat of vehicles like the minivans and make improvements. And we expect those vehicles will do well the next time we test them. Absolutely. It's so important to do these tests to get the information out there because now the hope is that they're going to fix the changes that need to be made and it's only going to be better from here on out and are the improvements that difficult to make like or or based on what you gave the manufacturers could they all have great scores if they wanted to and i know i'm sorry i know i'm kind of put i'm not i didn't send that question over prior but i'm just curious like is it a lack of not understand. I mean, it's just why? Why would you put out a car that has a poor rating? I don't understand. Well, so an important thing to remember is it is a new test and it's, you know, something that that they didn't know what the ratings guidelines were going to be until we put out the first ratings. And so, you know, it is a new uh, a new test. We have been, you know, talking with the automakers about our rear seat research along the way. They knew that this evaluation was coming. And but the design cycle for vehicles is very long and it right. it takes a while for vehicles to be redesigned. There are some countermeasures that we expect will happen quickly. We expect automakers who don't already have them to put pretensioners and load limiters in the seat I mean, belts in the rear seat. I mean, come on. It is Sorry, I'm going to get I'm going to get it's just I hate when you put out a family car and it's like so the front row and the passenger seat are that much safer than the second row. And like as a mother, reverse it. Give it to the second row before you give it to me. Like it's well, just, you know, the the attention has really been focused on the front seat for obvious reasons that we always have a driver in the vehicle True. and occupancy True. is much lower in the rear seat. And so, you know, it hasn't gotten the same attention that the front seat has. But I think that's all changing. That's awesome. Um, okay, thank you. Um, what about the, I guess while we're kind of talking about the manufacturers, can you just describe the relationship the IAHS has with the manufacturers? Do they send cars? Do you buy the cars? Are you guys like besties? Are you like, you know, not besties? What's kind of the vibes? Well, so 
One of our main roles is to hold the automakers to account. We're always looking to push them to have safer vehicles. And, but that said, the, our relationship with the automakers is actually quite good. It's quite collaborative. You know, it's in all of our best interests that they understand where we see the deficiencies and where we want them to target improvements. And so we talk with the automakers all along our process to let them know where we're headed with our research and our potential new test programs. And that benefits all of us because because we all want the vehicles to be safer, including the automakers. And so it the earlier they can think about the countermeasures or the improvements they can make to the vehicles, the earlier they can get those into production. Mm -hmm. But you guys do buy your own cars, right? Yes. So your question about buying the cars. Yes, we buy all of our own vehicles from local dealers. Our local dealers love us. (laughs) (laughs) We buy them just like consumers do. We pay the market rate for them. We are subject to the same delays that everybody else is. And, you know, we the automakers don't give us any vehicles. We buy them directly off the lot. And do you have so the IHS does what, four different crash tests per vehicle? No, three. So in our top safe, in our current top safety pick criteria, we are looking at um, three tests. So you need, but we're three Kia Tellurides. Yes, we, oh sometimes we need gosh. more. Yeah, that's oh cool. my because gosh. like if you do front impact, then you can't also do like uh, side impact. Else. Correct. <laughs> we that- do. So in our in our top safety pick criteria, we're also looking at crash avoidance, things like headlights mm-hmm. and uh, automatic emergency braking. And so when we buy vehicles, we typically buy as many as we need for the destructive testing, but then we'll also use those vehicles for things like crash avoidance testing. So we do get uh, multiple tests out, out of vehicles, but when it comes to crash testing we only do one vehicle per crash test that is like (laughs) so crazy that is so crazy (laughs) but it's work that needs to be done yeah and then what do you guys do with them send them to the junkyard we do send them to salvage nice cool wow um okay what about i mean one question whenever i point people to the ihs website or and i'm like hey go look up your car see how it does one question i always get is well where is the ford expedition what about the suburban where where are these big suvs and why do they not get tested to date we haven't we haven't tested the larger suvs that actually is changing this year oh um, exclusive there there are a couple of reasons why we haven't done it yet one is that larger vehicles generally there's some inherent protection in those larger vehicles of course um, but it's also a, an issue of limited resources and focusing our efforts on on uh, classes of vehicles that are high volume sellers. Mm-hmm. We will that said we will be testing large SUVs soon. There are some very large sellers in that market, mm-hmm. so you can expect to see results from us in the next year for we'll be testing the tahoe the expedition and the jeep wagoneer now that's juicy gossip. that's really exciting you'll have to come back we'll have to break down the scores together <laughs> sounds perfect um and and i guess what i've tried to because i've taught i've spoken to the ihs team before about this and i don't want to like please jump in if i'm talking out of my butt but it is you would expect with the ford expedition the tahoe to perform technically better than these midsize SUVs because of their mass and because in most collisions mass more often than not may win. So it's a better use of another vehicle. Yeah. So it's a better use of your time and resources to look at this 
this midsize category, which is huge, and figure out of these midsize SUVs, which one is the safest. Okay. Exactly. We try to focus our, our effort, our resources, our lab time. You know, there are only so many crash tests we can run in a year. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we're buying all of the vehicles. So we try to focus our attention on on the classes of vehicles that we know lots of consumers are buying. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned since you guys do buy your vehicles, like, you know, you're subject to the same delays that a consumer would be. So can you give us an idea of like how long will it take the IHS to do testing on specifically these newer models? So there's been so many new midsize SUVs that have come out this year. We have the new Traverse, the new Acadia, uh, the TX. What is the timeline and would you advise people to wait until the IHS scores come out before they make this purchase? Is the NHTSA scoring good enough? Like where, what, what would be, be your advice? Yeah. So it's, it, the thing is we, we try to capture as many vehicles as we can, but we have limited time, limited resources. And especially when we introduce new tests, we introduced a new side impact test, you know, a couple of years ago, we introduced an update to our moderate overlap test this past year. And we need to test all the vehicles that we mm-hmm. have ratings for for those um, new tests. in those new test modes. And it, it chews up a lot of our test time. So we try to get as many vehicles as we can. Um, but, you know, we can't get all of the new vehicles on our test schedule. It's just not not possible. You know, in terms of what to tell consumers, you know, we're, we aim to get the, the test done as soon as we can. Um, and if it's gonna be a really big seller, we might, you know, move that to, uh, you know, higher up on the list of mm-hmm. our in our testing. But, you know, our our website does offer a lot of information about, you know, we we manage about 200 ratings on about 200 models per year. And in terms of wh- how That's we crazy. maintain our ratings on our website. So there's a lot of good information yeah. in there. But maybe not information about the newest model that you know, it's been difficult to get or. Of course. Of course. Thank you. Um, Okay. One more like kind of hot seat question because I, this gets asked all the time and like every couple of weeks, like a new news article comes out about this like breaking like female crash dummy. And like, there's just, I think there's a little bit of misinformation about the dummies that get tested. And I think people love to get a lot of uproar that a woman's body doesn't get tested on. But I would like to for you to break down why you guys choose the dummies you do. And if testing on an average woman's body would even help the scores at all, or if it would actually make any difference. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good question, a really important question. One that we get a lot. Of course, we all want a dummy that looks like us right. to be tested in, in the crash test. But it's important to remember that the, the dummies that we're using are tools. They are not, can't nearly replicate the complexity of the human body. And mm. we're measuring things like accelerations and forces, these, you know, with sensors that are in the dummies. And we can learn a lot from the tools we have. And we see from the real world data that the tools that we're using that we, you know, have chosen for our individual tests are doing a good job of incentivizing vehicle improvements that are benefiting all occupants, men, women, occupants of different mm-hmm. shapes yeah. and sizes. Um, some of some of the answer to that question is related to availability. You know, we don't have, there is no, you know, midsize female dummy 
that's available for purchase and use in crash testing. Um, and, you know, so there, there are some challenges there, but it is also the case that with the tool we're using, we, we choose the dummy that we choose for each test based on the countermeasures or the vehicle improvements that we want to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, in our side impact test that we originally introduced in 2003 and then we updated a couple of years ago, we have always used the small female dummy. The, she represents about a, a fifth percentile female. She's almost five feet tall, about almost 110 pounds. And we used that dummy in the driver's seat and the rear passenger seat because we saw that smaller statured people were at particular risk of injury and side impact crashes. And so we wanted the vehicle improvements to benefit those smaller occupants in ways that we saw using a larger dummy wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. So in our frontal crash test programs in the front seat, we use a mid-sized male dummy. It's about the size of the 50th percentile male today in 2023 terms, it's actually about the weight of the 50th percentile female in the United States. Um, And we use that dummy because an important part of evaluating a vehicle in in a frontal crash is evaluating the restraint systems. And we want restraint systems that are going to perform well for those larger occupants. Yeah. You know, for the, the average size occupant. And if we use a smaller dummy, you know, we may not get the the optimization point of the restraint system may be for a smaller occupant than we really typically see in the front seat. Well, and I mean, just like any science experiment, like you have to have a test and it has to be consistent because Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be, you can't just throw a, a, okay, you know what, in the, in the Subaru Ascent, we're going to do a female. Well, because those scores might not perform as well. And then that doesn't necessarily make the Subaru Ascent a less car because you use a different dummy. So like you have to use a consistent mm-hmm. one and we've just all heard about how the ihs is buying their own cars and it's yeah, three I mean, cars on. per test it's like we can't <clears throat> possibly do 17 different crash tests for every different body type out there so i yeah, so it's it's really interesting because we are thinking about how to evaluate a broader range of occupants and so we are you know thinking about research and thinking about our future evaluation programs we're looking at having the ability to use computer simulation to help expand what we're doing with Mm -hmm. physical testing. So we always will run the physical tests, but we think we can also look at computer simulations to help us understand Mm. how the systems perform around a broader range of occupants. Yeah, that's that's going to be a big technology advancement, like for good. Like for, oh, for, for the good sure. of the world. Like to, for sure. That's very interesting. How many times can you reuse a dummy? That's a good question. So wh- when we buy the dummy, I mean, we can reuse them because all of the parts are replaceable. So if anything uh, breaks, any mm. any um, sensors break, any parts of the dummy break, we just replace those parts. And so when we buy a new dummy, you know, we buy the dummy one time and then we buy the parts over and over uh, again. Who are you buying but, the dummy from? Like, I just, I mean, are you yeah, their I'm only just, customer? I'm surprised you haven't brought this in house yet. And how much is a dummy? <laughs> So dummies cost, the dummies we use cost about $250,000. What? Oh. Yep. That brand new, about $250,000 instrumented the way that we would need them instrumented for Mm -hmm. a test. There's actually newer dummies. Some of the newer dummies that that you hear about in the news cost uh, about a million (gasps) dollars. 
I did, I am shocked. I was not expecting that I was going to guess five grand. Maybe. Yeah. I would never have thought that much. Like a, a rib might cost five grand. Uh, oh, yeah. my god! They're, they're quite expensive. And you have to you have to have many dummies Dummy, in yeah. rotation. And of course, we're putting them in a vehicle and and crashing them. And it's it's one of the interesting things is we're using this tool to measure risk of injury to real people, but we don't want the dummy to get injured in the test. Right. We right. want it to do, you know, to bounce back and be able to be tested in the next test. Oh, my gosh. That's like the most shocking thing. That is so I've shocking. Heard. OK, I've got just two more questions. I can just talk to you all day, though. Like, this is so this is so tough. It, I want to I want to go to the oh, IHS and like watch the No, it's on it's on our bucket list. Yeah. yeah, you guys should come. We have to you come. You should come to our lab. You know, we're we are testing those large SUVs you asked about. <gasps> Maybe you want to come for one of those. That would be so fun. I need to Okay, we'll be emailing about this. I think that would just be such incredible content. Mhm. Okay. We'd love to have you. Um can we talk a little bit about crash prevention technology? Sure. I am a huge fan of crash prevention tech, and I'm very excited to see the manufacturers put a little bit more of an emphasis on the crash prevention tech and especially finally removing the price wall um, mm-hmm. between some of this technology is. Mm-hmm. Do you guys do any of the do you test any of the crash prevention or mm-hmm. is it just if it has it, then it go because if you. OK, sorry, this, this is questions all over the place. Question one, do you guys test it? Question two. When you have these IHS top safety pick and top safety pick pluses, vehicles have to have X amount of things standard or included to to make it on that list. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So we do test uh, we do test crash avoidance technologies. We we test specific ones. So we began, you know, a decade ago testing automatic emergency braking. Right. We. So that is vehicle to vehicle automatic emergency braking, where your vehicle will brake automatically when you're about to rear end somebody. Uh, Since that time, the automakers have made that standard equipment as of last year. Wow. And so and standard at a performance level that did well in our performance testing. So we do do performance testing of the crash avoidance technologies. So at the moment in our crash avoidance uh, testing suite, we are looking at headlights and headlight performance, because we've seen that's a huge uh, predictor of of uh, crashes. If like if the automatic crashes. if the automatic emergency braking will work or just if the headlights are like bright enough and good enough. If the if the headlights are bright enough and good. enough, Gotcha. And mm. don't and don't provide glare to the oncoming. Oh, traffic. yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yep. And then we also we have stopped doing our vehicle to vehicle crash avoidance test uh automatic emergency braking testing because that is now standard Mm -hmm. in vehicles. But we introduced a pedestrian automatic emergency braking test several years ago. And just this past year, we introduced a nighttime pedestrian AEB test. And so we're we are looking at how well vehicles can actually can slow down for pedestrians, both in daytime and nighttime. And see, that is I have seen I've seen some of those videos specifically i don't think it was the ihs testing but it's like tesla's just plowing over these dummies and just like not i mean that's right that's correct you've seen that too i have we have seen many many tests where vehicles did not stop for the pedestrians but again this is another area where the automakers are making improvements and really you know rising to the to the challenge we are 
again, thinking about our future programs, we are running tests right now for the next generation of our vehicle-to-vehicle AEB testing, and we'll be putting out ratings, you know, in the coming year. What's your um, opinion on autonomous driving? Are you excited about it? Does it freak you out? Do you think it will make the roads safer? I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I feel like it's going to make things safer, but, but... Yeah, so it is, um, it's certainly, you know, for many years, it was all we could read about in the news about how, mm-hmm. you know, we were going to have autonomous vehicles in five years. I think many of us who have seen the technology and been exposed to it recognize that wasn't going to happen in five years. Uh, and, you know, that we would still be kind of in the place we are today. Um, but I do think that, you know, there are applications for autonomous vehicles. It's it'll be a long way off if it ever happens that you have one sitting in your driveway or in your garage. Yeah, I agree. Okay, last question. What is your personal vehicle? And I'm assuming that the IHS test scores played a big role in it. I drive a 2011 Honda Odyssey. It was a top safety pick in 2011 when it came out. Um, Of course, I would love a newer vehicle with newer bells and whistles, but... You they know, can't let you drive one of these cars for like a couple of months and then crash test it. <laughs> like you can't get like a demo. That <laughs> seems only right. <laughs> Do you? So no one drives them. Like you buy, like you pick it up from the dealership, and like no one gets to like drive it for six months and like try it out. Because like, so what if you crash vehicles, it? So that that's a good question. We buy our vehicles. It a little bit depends on which testing we're using them for, but you know, if it's going straight for crash testing, it comes into our shop. It goes through a you know a range of testing, including things like uh, we evaluate vehicles for how easy the latch system is to use, mm-hmm. things like that, um, and then it'll go right into our vehicle prep area. You know, when the schedule when it's on the schedule to be tested and get prepped for the crash test. For our other vehicles that go for our crash avoidance testing, we have a, a protocol where we need to put some miles on the car, mm-hmm. but it's about 200 miles. Oh. It's not, you know, oh, it's not like five yeah. miles before the testing. But we also do some testing that is related to things like um, partial driving automation uh, or those systems like like Tesla's autopilot, where you know it has it keeps speed and distance to the vehicle ahead, but also keeps you in the center of the lane. So we do do some testing related to that. And so those vehicles get a lot more uh, time on the road, but it's typically in the form of testing. I love that you drive a Honda Odyssey. (laughs) Me too. If you had to go buy a new car tomorrow, what would you buy? That's a good question. That's a trick question. (laughs) You don't have to answer because I would hate if someone asked me that question right now too. I would certainly look to our website and look to our ratings and see and see where, you know, what the current vehicles are and how they're performing. Okay, well, this was a really, do you have any more questions? This, mm. did we miss anything or I feel like we covered a lot. This is fascinating. And I'm like so down to go and see these. Okay, here's a question. I feel like the first time you probably see one of these tests in person, it's like very shocking and jarring. Just like when you see an accident on the side of the road, everyone has to look at it. Do you ever get numb to like seeing these tests constantly or is it still just like, oh my gosh, wild to see? I wouldn't say it's wild to see at this point. Yeah. But I do I do still find watching the crash test really interesting. Mm-hmm. I do it 
you know, I don't need to be back there to, to see the, you know, I don't need to be back there for the test, but I often go back if I'm available to see the crash test. Yeah. Well, it also probably depends on the car. I mean, you can YouTube how the Jeep Wrangler performs. It flips over every time. Like, it's just yeah. wild to see, like, you know, some cars like skirt to the side a little bit and they're fine. And the Jeep Wrangler does a somersault. Yeah. Scary. It's it's it is such like do not buy a car until you go look at mm-hmm. and they're all free and all available and like stop getting your crash revenge. Stop getting your crash ratings from TikTok. That's my biggest takeaway. Yeah. Do you know how much cheaper it would be for the IHS to just do AI <laughs> AI crash tests? But they can't. And that wouldn't exactly serve the purpose that e- we need. Exactly. Right. Because you guys also choose the crashes that are the most likely to have. Like, that's why this one parked in front of a concrete wall and a semi hits you at 30 miles an hour is ridiculous. Yeah. Because a car should not perform well in that scenario. Because, mm-hmm. like, that's not a scenario that's going to happen. It's very interesting. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for joining the Carpool Podcast. This is probably one of my favorite Mm -hmm. interviews we've ever done. Thank you so much for having me. It's really fun. Today's episode is brought to you by Keepsake. When I had James, I was going back and forth on how I was going to preserve all of our memories. I got like a baby book. I wasn't sure if I was going to save them all on my computer. Like it just seems so overwhelming. I didn't know what to do, which is why I'm so happy that I found Keepsake because it is the easiest way to par- for parents to capture and preserve memories about their little ones. You get text response. You get texts sent to you every single day, and you respond with a quick little answer or a photo. It's been a great way for me to have a spot for all these random million selfies that I take of James to go. And then at the end of the year, you get a physical printed book sent to you with all of the selfies, all of the memories. They have the sweetest prompts, things that you would have never even thought about. And it, you just answer them in the moment at the end of your day. And it's been so awesome. So I would highly recommend if you're trying to figure out the best way to preserve your baby's memories. And so um, Keepsake is offering 20% off the annual subscription to our listeners. And all you have to do is go to keepsake.com slash carpool and use code carpool. And that's keepsake, Q-E-E-P-S-A-K-E.com slash carpool. And now it is time for Ditch a Drive-Thru, where we give you an easy dinner recipe to mix it up to get you out of your dinner dinner rut. rut. And we are going to share our Crocktober recipe for this week. Yes. If you're not doing Crocktober, wake up. Get with it. It's been so much fun. Crocktober is iconic. And just so everyone's, I think there's some confusion. We're doing all of October and all of November. Yeah. It's not just October. Yeah. I know it's called Crocktober, but it's also obviously that's Crocknumber. Wait, November. Croc- it's Crocktober. It's just Crocktober. Crocktober all- for two months. It's for eight weeks. And then at the end of the eight weeks, we're going to play the ultimate great eight. And you're going to want to be a part of yeah, that. Yeah. So if you have it, we're going to pull everyone. So like if you're not making them, like you can't, you don't really have a dog in the fight for the great eight. And it's going to be pretty iconic. No. And like, don't procrastinate. And then it's like two weeks before. And like, you're like going to have all these crockpot recipes. Like, don't procrastinate. Get with it. We're giving you an easy dinner recipe to mix it up to get out of your dinner rut keep up yeah so what is this week's crocktober recipe okay this week's crocktober is from a blog called dance around the kitchen she reached out and she's like this is my most iconic one and i said say less so perfect dr pepper pulled pork in the crock pot now i've heard of this before i've heard of the notion of like you'd use like a A soda soda and a meat kind Mm -hmm. of vibe yeah um who came up with that maybe dance around the kitchen i'm not sure one four to five ounce boneless pork butt or pork shoulder you can use bone in if you want but like see the notes below one 12 ounce can of dr pepper or root beer okay 
barbecue sauce of choice. Rub seasoned salt all over the entire pork shoulder. Place the pork in the crock pot and then add the soda. Place the lid on the crock pot. Cook on high for five hours or low for eight hours. Remove the pork to a pan and use two forks to shred the meat. Discard the bone or any really fatty pieces. Remove all but one and a half cups of the juices in the crock pot and stir in the shredded pork. Add barbecue sauce and stir. Serve right away or cook on low for an additional you, hour. It's literally just the meat and Dr. Pepper. I mean, but you know what's cool about crock, crock pots? They're so, the meals are so affordable. Like when I checked out for all the stuff totally for Swedish meatballs, agree. bought everything I needed for Swedish meatballs, my total was $22. Totally. And it made how many meals? Right. It's a ton. At least two. Uh, for No, like it made probably five meals. Oh, yeah. Like individual meals. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, did it feed your family with leftovers? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for $22? So I'm excited about this. I wanted to choose a pork one because pulled pork is... I, I haven't had a good pulled pork recipe. Okay. And this one seems easy. Okay. And you can do so much with pulled pork. And what I like is it's like you're going to make this in the crock pot on Monday. And then you can repurpose it throughout the week. And mm-hmm. then you can freeze the pork once it's done. And now, like, instead of doing 15 pounds of ground beef, you've got pulled pork. So what are your... How are you going to serve it? Well, I think I'm going to just do pork sandwiches. Yeah. Like, I don't like in the recipe that is from Dancer on the Kitchen. She just puts it on a freaking slider and yeah. she sends sends us on our way. And I'm like, yes, I'd love maybe like a coleslaw with it. Yeah. Maybe you could add a coleslaw on the side or like a pickle even. Um, You know what I think would be good? Pulled pork quesadillas pulled pork quesadillas sound amazing you mm-hmm. could also do pulled pork loaded sweet potato i love to do pulled pork nachos yeah i just get a sheet pan do nachos put the pork on them little barbecue sauce cheese popper in the oven add some wow. other my accoutrements i'm so excited to try this you can also just, i like had no idea it was three ingredients <laughs> that's amazing you can just do a lot with it mm-hmm so I don't know. We'll see. Okay. Well, thank you. So please join us this week for Cracktober. 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 Okay. Now it is time for Blake's Besties, where during the month of October, we honor the babies that we lost too soon during infant and pregnancy loss awareness month. So we have some Blake's Besties submissions we're going to share. And if you would like to share your own, you can write in at hello at the com. Okay, I am going to be talking about um, sweet, sweet Casey Page. Her mom told us that um, her favorite snack when she was pregnant was cottage cheese and maple syrup. Wait, what? I know. Careful. It's careful. He could go viral. (laughs) Kind of sounds good. She said, but really anything with maple syrup would do. A true New England girl. Her favorite person. Okay, so let me say she... uh, she was born at 39 weeks and was diagnosed with a rare uh, brain tumor at seven weeks and passed away at six months. So she did get to spend some time with her big sister, who was her favorite person. Um, she would instantly calm down when her sister held her, talked to her or played with her. Casey wasn't really into dinner when I was pregnant. So girl dinners were my favorite, specifically toast with peanut butter, raisins, and you guessed it, maple syrup. That's so funny. She loved anyone she met and adored her hospital team. She was she really was the sweetest girl. We'll talk we talk about her often at home and miss her every day. Thanks for using this platform to spread awareness. Um so that is Casey Page's story. Okay, I've got one from Christina, and she says that this is about her about baby V, which is the V stands for her last name. One of my favorite memories of carrying baby V was when I was feeling anxious three days before our first ultrasound at eight weeks, which went great, by the way. Baby V sent me a craving for creamy. 
mac and cheese to make sure mommy knew he or she was there. So my husband and I went to the local restaurant and they allowed me to order off the kids menu. LOL. I think baby V was wise beyond their weeks and knew just how much that made mom and dad laugh. Thanks again for doing this, Christina. Mm. Baby V, <laughs> mac and cheese. Um, okay, I have another one. Okay, this is from Jordan. She says, after years of infertility, we finally found out we were pregnant with a baby boy. We were so excited to be his parents. He would be the first grandkid on both sides of the family. We had a big gender reveal. My husband and I had the name picked out before we were even married. Kip Gerard was born 26 weeks due to complications from preeclampsia on September 11th, 2019. He was one pound, two ounces. He fought hard in the NICU and passed away two days later. God blessed us with a baby girl in 2021. We always tell her about her big brother in heaven and he... We never want him to be forgotten. Thank you for remembering all these pressure, precious babies gone too soon. Kip. What a cute name. So I actually really like that name. I love a one syllable name. Yeah. George Fred. Obviously. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> James. Is James, James. one syllable? James. <laughs> Kelly, you need to like take a phonics class. <laughs> Hooked on phonics? You need to like when George brings home his phonics homework, you need to like get with that. Um, okay, we, we have one more that I want to read. Sorry, I I know you kind of I, I you took, read I, I took yours. I, I know I took yours. That's okay. I did a lot of talking on the interview. So that's very true. Okay, I wanted to read about uh, this baby did not have a name yet, but <laughs> their nickname was Little Shrimp. So I want to talk about um, I think this is a really, really sweet story of how they found out they were pregnant and then how they told their family. So Uh, We found out after I took a pregnancy test while my husband was in the shower. I happy yelped and he jumped out soaking wet and hugged me and we cried. We told his parents with baby bottles. We were at a BYOB restaurant and said we had a few bottles with us. And we told my family with a pizza that said baby and sausage. Wait, we said what? It said baby and sausage. Oh, it said... (laughs) The sausage spelled out baby. Yes. I thought it, this pizza said baby in sausage. And I was like, whoa, this is taking a turn. Oh, no, 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 no. The pizza, they ordered a sausage pizza and it said baby. They said, we didn't get a chance to know if the baby would be a boy or a girl. So we affectionately referred to them as little shrimp because that's what they look like on the sonograms. So they sound like they have an amazing sense of humor. <laughs> I, know. Like. I know you're so right yeah so thank you so much for sharing your baby stories with us and letting us read them um to our audience and again if you want to write in your own you could do so at hello at carmomofficial.com and with that who's leaving our review oh you're putting me on the spot who should leave our review what about Audi. Have we done Audis before? Uh, well, okay. It, it gets confusing. As good as mine. Okay, what about Mercedes GLS? Certainly we haven't done that. Certainly not. So if you drive a Mercedes GLS, head to the review section, leave us five stars, and tell us why you love the pod. Show up, show out, and I cannot wait to hear what you guys thought of the interview mm-hmm. with Jessica. Like, some of the most hard-hitting journalism we've ever done. I mean, some might actually consider that the first journalistic thing <laughs> we've ever done. So thank you so much for listening to the Carpool Podcast. We'll talk to you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Carpool Podcast with Kelly and Liz. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed riding with us, tell everybody you know. There's room in the car for everyone.